Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Vertical Momentum. I am your host, Richard Kaufman, also known as the Comeback Coach. And today we have an amazing guest. Guys, as you know, the only guests that we have on this show are people that are changing the game and today's thought leaders. And the gentleman that I have on today, He's actually changing the game of apparel, and I love apparel. I love T-shirts. I'm a T-shirt whore. I just have so many of them, and I can't wait to talk to this gentleman. But first, I'd like to thank our sponsors, and as you guys know, our sponsors are 100% veterans 100% of the times. So I want to thank James McNeil for writing a book called Finding Your Personal Mission. He's a gentleman that has come back from two suicide attempts to actually an imposter syndrome to now he actually is helping change people's lives. So definitely check out his book called finding your personal mission. It'll be in the um, credits and at the end, but guys get a piece of paper and a pen out because you're going to want to write some notes down because we're going to be talking about a lot of things, but branding I think is going to be one of the biggest topics. So this company I love, love, can't say enough about them. Um, and we're going to tell you why, because they do so much for the veterans and first responder communities, and they make quality products. So, Dean Wagner, how are you doing, my brother, today? Well, Richard, after hearing your introduction, I could not be doing better. I appreciate the introduction and honored to be a guest and look forward to our discussion. This is going to be great. And ever since Jax Young told me about you, I'm like, I have to get to talk to that guy because I love your mission statement. I love everything about your company. And from just the times we've talked back and forth a little bit, I love you personally. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? Uh, what state were you born in? And what kind of little kid was Dean? <laughs> well, when I talk about what's important to me, Richard, I start with the simple three things for me. It's all about God, you know, family and country. And for me personally, what's most important to me is my Christian faith and family is incredibly important for me. So my wife, Kelly and I, we've been married 26. It will be 27 years this year. It's been an incredible journey, the two of us together. And Richard, we have four amazing kids as well. So we have two daughters. 22 and 19. We have a 16-year-old son, and we also have an 11-year-old son we adopted from Ethiopia in 2012. Wow. So family, incredibly important. Then, you know, from a country standpoint, like you, I am a veteran, you know, graduated from West Point in 1993, went to flight school, learned how to fly helicopters, had an opportunity, a very unique one, since I went aviation to attend the Army Special Forces Ranger School. And then served our country for seven years, active duty, and absolutely love that, which you touched on this. And we're very passionate about giving back, very passionate about our veterans. And one thing, Richard, that we do, we are very intentionally donate 10% of our profits to veteran and first responder charities. All right. So now we're going we're gonna to hop in the, the Wayback Machine because I want to talk, get people to know the man behind the brand, <laughs> you know, because... I always tell people that facts will tell what stories will sell. So what were you like in high school? And now I've talked to a lot of 
special operators. And matter of fact, I just got off the phone. My last interview, he was um, he was in, in command of the Army and Rangers brigades. And we were talking about mindset. So what kind of high school student were you? Were you a reader? Were you an well, athlete? What were you, what were you like? So I'm, I'm chuckling right now, Richard, because I was just in Pittsburgh a couple weeks ago watching my son play hockey and had an opportunity to get together with some of my old high school classmates. And they would tell you it was probably a small miracle that I got into West Point. And that was a little bit of a wild streak in me back then. And it was probably even a bigger, bigger miracle that I was able to graduate. And I was a hockey player back then and still I'm a hockey player now playing a men's beer league. So, you know, I was very much into athletics and sports and I had two goals, Richard, coming out of high school. One was to play division one hockey. And number two was to get the best possible education I could. And when the hockey coach from West Point called and I did a little research, I was blown away because that year West Point was the number one ranked college in the country. And they also had a division one hockey program that I had an opportunity to play. Okay. So I got to ask, you know, who was your favorite hockey player coming up? So for me, my favorite player, if you remember the name, Mark Messier, Oh, yeah, played with the Rangers and he cried a couple good seasons here. Absolutely. And he lived under the shadow of Wayne Gretzky all those years. And, you know, he was not only a great hockey player from a goal scoring standpoint, but he was incredibly strong. He was a tough player, but he was also an incredible leader. And I know after Wayne retired, you know, he continued to win Stanley Cups and he went to New York and won a Stanley Cup. So if I had to pick one, he would absolutely be my favorite. I, you know, I, I love that. I, and I think he was such a, a great human being also. So you get to West Point and you're on, you join the hockey team. What was that like going from high school to going to a powerhouse like that for a hockey team? <laughs> it was humbling because I grew up in Pittsburgh and back in the eighties, when I played hockey, played junior hockey, played high school hockey there. Pittsburgh was in its infancy and to give an idea how small it was back then. So Pittsburgh only had five arenas. And since I left, Mario Lemieux came to town. They won Stanley Cups in Pittsburgh. And to give an idea how much it's grown, there's now over 40 rinks in Pittsburgh. So hockey is huge. But back when I was there, it was in its infancy. So I was a relatively big deal in Pittsburgh hockey standpoint. But when you start playing competitively at a Division One standpoint, it's like, wow. Everyone is big. Everyone is strong. Everyone skates fast. Everyone shoots hard. And it was a humbling experience for me. And I am all around a decent athlete, Richard, but I was a good third or fourth line grinder. I was not going to be our leading scorer. I was not going to be anything like that. But I still have relationships now from those times with the hockey team. You know, that military bond plus that playing a Division One sport together, those are lifetime friends for me. Okay, so now I have to ask because, you know, I was talking to uh, Lieutenant Colonel Fivecoat, and he said he had to walk about 36 demerits. Did you get any demerits? Did you have to do any of those? Did did you have to take the walk of shame? I did have to walk the walk of shame, probably more than I would like to admit it, and I don't remember the exact hours, but 
you know, this was a little bit of a wild streak. We you know, try to do as best we can and get a great education and get the great grades, but we also made sure that we had a good time on the weekends and did get in a little bit of trouble. So how, how did your team do the four years that you were there? So one of the things that West Point overall, Richard, struggles with is being able to compete on a truly national level. And the reason being is professional sports is such a money machine right now. Any incredibly gifted high school athlete, whether it's in hockey, whether it's in football, whether it's in baseball, they most oftentimes have aspirations to play professionally. And it is a much more rigorous, much more challenging path to play a professional sport coming from one of the service academies. So I was probably an overall good prototype for the type of player that was there at West Point because we were incredibly tough. We worked incredibly hard. We were in great shape, but we didn't have some of that natural prolific goal scoring ability. So we lost a lot of games, 3-2, 2-1, 4-3, but nobody liked to play us because we hit hard, we skated hard, and they were worn out at the end of the game. And I would have to say, Richard, the biggest highlight for me and I didn't even make this road trip, but it was a big highlight for the program. So this would have been in 1989. Our first road game, my freshman year, was in Boston, Massachusetts. It was Harvard. And Harvard, the year before, had won the national championship. So here it was, their opening game. And they were hoisting the national championship banner. And what was so great, Richard, we ruined that party for them because they thought they were going to have an easy road to victory. And we beat them four to three in their home to home heist. Wow, that's pretty cool. Now, uh, when you graduated, you know, everybody says they fill out their dream sheets. Uh, where did the military put you when you graduated? I think the big choice initially, Richard, was which branch. And I had no idea before entering West Point the number of choices that are out there. And if I remember correctly, there were 18 different choices. There was infantry, you know, the heart and soul of the army. There was armor. There was field artillery. There were all these combat arms choices, but then there was combat support and combat service support, whether it's finance or transportation or military police. And I really boil it down to two options. Richard, one was infantry. If you want to be a general in the army, that is likely the best path to go because that's where the most generals come from. But you remember that movie Top Gun? Oh, yeah. yeah. So that was one of my favorite movies. And that was the other side that said, wow, wouldn't it be cool to be like Iceman or like Maverick and wear a flight suit? So I ultimately went the aviation route and absolutely loved it. And there was still part of me, Richard, that was wondering, did I make the right choice? Did you get and, the aviate? Did you get to rock the aviators? Did I get what? I'm sorry. Did you get to rock the aviators? Did you get to wear the aviators? Oh, I, absolutely. I graduated from flight school in July of 94. And what was interesting, while I was at flight school, so on one side of the spectrum of the Army is infantry, special forces, rangers, and on the opposite side is the flight suit-wearing aviator. Richard, they made an announcement. They got all of us together and said, guys, once in a lifetime opportunity, we're going to hold a competition and we're going to send one of you to Ranger School. And I thought, Richard, well, here's my chance to see how the other half lives. And I was very fortunate, won that competition, 
went to ranger school after graduating flight school and found out just how miserable it was at ranger school. But you graduated. I did graduate, and it was by the sheer grace of God. And to give you an idea, for any of the listeners who are not familiar with ranger school, there's a lot of military doctrine and tactics as part of leaderships, as part of ranger school, but at its core, it's a leadership course. And on day one, Richard, there were 340 of us. Fast forward 72 days later after one meal a day with two to three hours sleep a night, we lost 80% of our class and there were only 70 of us on graduation day. Okay, so and, yeah, like, you know, now I've talked, now it seems to be God is working for some reason. I don't know what he, his plan is, but he's working. Um, I've had so many Christian men come into my life in the last couple months and a lot of them prior military uh, rangers. And the one thing that I've found out is, is most operators, not everyone, but most operators, um, number one is their readers. So, and they believe that leaders are readers. And second of all, is they just have that one more rep mentality. They have that, I'm not going to quit. No matter what, you're going to have to put me down before I quit mentality. Where like a lot of guys think, you know, you get a guy that's all jacked up and 8% body fat and shredded. And he's not the guy that passes most of the time these tests. It's because it's more mental than physical. So what, how was your mindset of not quitting when you see all these other people ringing the bell and quitting? So it is such a great point you bring up, Richard, because early on in my career, I thought, well, I want to be the smartest one in the room. I want to be the smartest person in the company. And I very quickly realized after getting married and me and my wife, I'm not even the smartest one in my home. And I have changed the approach where now I want to surround myself with people that are far more smarter, far more talented, far more gifted than I am. But one thing that has never left me, and this goes back to you know sports being a big part of my upbringing and hockey, was just that incredible intense drive and work ethic. And you know, that's really ultimately what got me through Ranger School because if you're at infantry officer basic course, you spend two months getting ready for Ranger School. They bring you through all this preparation, all this training to make sure you're ready. When I'm the only one going from flight school, the only group that's ever gone, I mean, there's no training. So I showed up with two brand new pair of boots under my arm and said, well, here I am. So it was just sheer perseverance and drive and commitment and dedication that ultimately got me through it. And, you know, I like to joke now that I didn't know it back then, but Ranger School, you know, was such great training for leading a startup because it was all about no sleep and incredible stress. That's the life I'm living now. No, no sleep and incredible stress. Now, how many years did you put in the military? So seven amazing years from 93 to 2000. All right. So let me ask you this question, because now we're going to get into a little bit of business and we're going to talk about um, important stuff. But um, you've been married 26 years. Yes. So um, I find I mean, this is just my opinion. I'm not a professional or anything, but I've interviewed hundreds of people, veterans and entrepreneurs that. A lot of times before somebody gets out of the military or before they start a business, if they want to be successful, they have to talk to their significant other 
and have that hard conversation at the kitchen table or else they're going to be in, a, in for a world of hurting and then you're going to have to go back and have an even harder conversation later. So what was that conversation sitting across the kitchen table when you're like, honey, I want to get out of the military and, you know, eventually I want to become an entrepreneur. So what was that conversation like? Well, I should say this, Richard, first and foremost, I want to reinforce your point because for anyone who's listening that wants to be an entrepreneur, that wants to build a business and live this life, if you are married, have a significant other, have a spouse, you absolutely need to enroll them in the discussion and in that decision because after the Army, Richard, I spent time at Procter & Gamble working on brands like Crest and Tide. I spent time at Mars working on brands like M&Ms and Snickers. So worked at some world-class marketing and branding companies. And if you would have asked me back then, do I have stress? I'm like, absolutely. I've got big numbers I've got to hit. I've got a big, big customers I've got to serve. But I will tell you, Richard, there is nothing that compares to the stress that I've had to deal with over the last three plus years is, you know, we've got people on our team now. So I'm providing for their livelihood. And there have been a few times where I'm like, we're not going to meet payroll. We're not going to be able to pay anybody. And it has been through the sheer grace of God and just the way things have come together. You know, at one point thinking we're on the verge of filing bankruptcy and we have new investors that come on board and believe in our vision and give us some more runway. You know, we don't think we're going to be able to pay everybody and miraculously a customer sends an electronic payment for us. So that stress that I've dealt with now, which is what my wife is dealing with right now, I mean, it was so important for us us to have that discussion up front and make sure that both of us fully understood what we were getting into. And, you know, and I love that because, you know, me and my wife, you know, we're a team, you know, we're, we're team Kaufman. Um, but a woman seems to have an eighth or ninth sense to where if something is off 99.9% of the time, they're going to feel it. And sometimes I just have to say, you know, you're right almost 100 percent of the time. So I'm going to go with it. So, you know, because sometimes, you know, I have to lean on my wife because I'm the kind of guy sometimes, you know, I try not to curse on my my show. But uh, so only way I can say it is sometimes I have more balls than brains to where I'll be like, let's just do it. Let's go for it. And she's like, slow down, hero. You know, I'm the one that writes the checks around here. I know what we have in the accounts. So don't do anything stupid. So do you and your wife work have that that kind of teamwork, that kind of uh, synergy together? We absolutely do, Richard. And I'm so thankful and blessed to have an amazing wife and my wife, Kelly. And you know, we have four amazing kids that I talked about. So her primary focus is on the family. But like you described, she's got that, you know, sixth sense, that spidey type tingling sensation. And the way she really gets involved is if we're going to make a key critical hire, I mean, she is so gifted and so perceptive with people, you know, she can spend, you know, just a quick lunch or a cup of coffee or dinner and really get a good idea much better than I ever would if they're going to be a fit for our business. So that is where she's been a huge, huge help for us as we're making critical hires as we're growing and expanding. Okay, I love that. So now, uh, you know, so what was it like, you know, like when we're in the military, you know, we're all tough and hua hua, you know, but we're you we're getting paid on the 1st and the 15th. We're getting, you know, we're getting 30 days paid vacation. We become kind of coddled. 
And then sometimes when we join the um, civilian sector and corporate, big corporate world, we also get called because we know we're going to get paid every week or every, every two weeks. So what was it like to start, you know, when you guys said, all right, we're going to start our own company. And if like the Bible says, if we don't work, we don't eat. Right. You know? So what was that? You know, cause there's a difference between a corporate mindset and employee mindset to an um, entrepreneur mindset. So how did that transition come about flipping your mindset? So I will share this perspective, Richard. I believe veterans more so than the broad population are well equipped to be an entrepreneur and reason being the discipline, the planning, the structure, the work ethic, you know, showing up on time, willing to put in the long hours, all of those attributes and experiences and everything that makes a veteran successful, you need in spades in being an entrepreneur. But what you also need to have is say, okay, if you don't have an SOP, if you don't have a checklist, if you don't have anything of those that was so commonplace in the military on how you operated, you know, can you still thrive and function? And for me, for example, you know, four years ago, if this was visual, I'd hold up a blank sheet of paper because that was our business plan. That's where we started, Richard. It was a blank sheet of paper. And for anyone in the military that says, well, where's my checklist? You know, where's my SOP? The entrepreneurial world is not for them. But this is, you know, tying back to the Ranger School experience. It was completely out of the norm, you know, for me as an aviator to go to Ranger School. And even when I was at Procter & Gamble, an $80 billion company, when I was at Mars, which is a $40 billion company, I wasn't an entrepreneur, but I had that entrepreneur. You know, I had that entrepreneur. So I was always th trying to think creatively, think differently. And it was funny. I laugh still. Richard, thinking back to one of the most common things I heard at Procter & Gamble, like, Dean, what are you doing? And like, well, what are you talking about? And they would say, Dean, that's not how we do it. That's not the Procter way. And I would ask, well, why not? And you would hear stories. Well, we tried that 10 years ago and it didn't work. And, you know, I think that is something you couple the planning, the work ethic, the discipline that a veteran has. And if they can cre think creatively and being able to solve, you know, complex problems, that makes for a rock star entrepreneur. Well, I got so many different places I want to go with this conversation. So I'm just so grateful. I want to thank you again for coming on and hanging out with me today. Um, you know, I'm a big Shark Tank guy. Um, I, yes. I usually watch every episode. And a great show. You know, you know they have people, you know, I've, I've talked to a couple of them personally. Um, but if they have a, a person that comes on and that person is working part-time in their business, they're not going to invest because you're not invested 100%. So you do not have a business. You have a hobby. So, you know, a lot of guys and girls get out of the military. They decide they want to start a T-shirt, hat, coffee company, liquor company. Six months later, they're up $10,000 in debt and don't know what the hell, what just happened. Right. Because, you know, especially, you know, because I know you're in, into apparel. And matter of fact, I'm wearing one of your shirts as, as we speak. Oh, um, fantastic. Um, and. And a lot of people, you know, like you said, they'll start a T-shirt company, right? And because I was in it and I actually lost a couple of businesses because I did not know what something called margins were, you know, right. where, 
you know, it's like, well, okay, well, I see, I'm, I have a shirt. I'm going to sell it for 15 bucks. But I didn't realize that after I made all the sales that I had to pay taxes on that. And all of a sudden, each shirt cost me 18 bucks to sell. So can you talk about having to figure out, because it's hard when you're a smaller company, you know, to start out and competing against a company like Grunstyle or any of these bigger manufacturing companies. So how did you guys start out creating your own little niche? So it is such a great question, Richard, and it brings up one of my favorite mantras. It's not necessarily what you know, it's who you know. And I've been after the Army primarily in business development, sales and marketing and strategy and very people focused, very relationship driven. And as I was starting from that blank sheet of paper, I mean, there's things you can read, but there was no per se manual to say, okay, here's necessarily how you start a business. Here's not how you're going to do it. So what I did, you talked about the financial piece and margin and all those pieces. So I had three friends of mine who are CFOs. So what I did is I called them and asked them for assistance, asked them for their help. And they first and foremost were flattered that I asked them and they rolled up their sleeves with me. And as we were looking at financial forecasts and three-year pro forma financial model and how we're going to do it, I could not have done it without them. And that holds true not only the financial side, but you know we've been fortunate to be on national TV multiple times. We've been on Fox and Friends three times. So the very first time I was on Fox and Friends, it was with Daryl Waltrip. If you're a NASCAR fan, that is a name that Old you know. Old DW. I love DW. DW. So I'm a big NASCAR guy. The- I'm a big, uh, I was a big senior and big junior fan. Fant- well, DW is just a great American. And I think that is one of the traps you can get into, Richard, if you're an entrepreneur that, okay, I'm an island under myself and you feel like you have the world, the weight of the world on your shoulders. And I've tried to go ahead and take an opposite approach and really, you know, engage others and see who's willing to help and support and come along this journey. And, you know, I think a lot of people have that anxiety, like, well, they're busy and they have a lot going on. So what if they're not willing? What if they don't have the time? But I will tell you, it is the complete opposite reaction I get from the majority of the people. They are honored. They're humbled. And if you've built a great relationship with them over the years, they want to come out of their way to help you. You know, and, I, and I, I'm all about relationships. Like I said, I met Jax uh, probably about a year ago. and We formed a great relationship. But like after having you on the show today, it's just where our relationship begins. You know, I'm, no, all, no. I'm that relationship guy. I'm the guy that knows a guy that knows a guy. You know, I, I love connecting people. I love, you know, that's my passion is, you know, uh, my mantra is, you know, you can never have enough friends in this world. No doubt. You know, so talk to us a little bit when you first started your out and how to build, how you built up your relationship capital. So, you know, let, let me finish because you asked a question earlier that I didn't finish and that was on differentiation. Okay, definitely. Yeah. This, yeah. This so is I didn't want to finish that. I definitely want to talk about branding because that's what that's I feel it here in your voice is is one of your passions. So <laughs> no, no doubt about it. And about. It's just me and you having a cup of coffee today. <laughs> well, I love it, Richard. And 
feels like we could talk for hours on end. So at some point you can say, Dean, shut up. It's time to go. We finished our segment, move on. But I've thoroughly enjoyed this. But here's you know, one thing to give you a little bit of background, because up until 2012, you know, I had never had any apparel experience. And in 2012, here in Nashville, I bought my first business. It was a company, Omega Apparel, that had a great niche producing dress uniforms for the military. And that, Richard, was my first exposure to the apparel industry. And here's a, just a little bit of background and context on the apparel industry. So when I graduated from West Point in 93, over 50% of the apparel in the U.S. was made in the U.S. And today it's less than three. Tragically, less than 3% is all that's made here. And one of the things I'm most passionate about professionally is job creation. And as I was running this government contracting business, my thought was, well, I want to win more contracts because then we'll be able to create more jobs. But during that time, I had this epiphany and I realized that when we win contracts, we don't actually create jobs. We just outbid another supplier. It's more of a transfer of jobs. And, and Richard, this is when the wheels started turning. Because then that's where I thought, well, what if instead of being in the contracting business, what if we were in the brand building business? And I thought the days of Procter & Gamble, working on brands like Crest and Tide and Mars with M&Ms. And I thought, what if we chose the road less traveled instead of what 97% of brands and companies do and they produce overseas like Shark Tank would recommend they do because that's the best cost? What if we made the intentional choice to produce right here in the U.S.? Think of the jobs we could create. Think of the difference we could make. And ultimately, if we're successful in building this iconic American brand that's truly American-made, think of the legacy we could leave. You know, and like you said, you know, uh, for me, I love buying American. You know, and by the way, when I heard you said you worked for Mars and um, – I watched a whole two-hour documentary on Eminem Mars and about the <laughs> creators. And I was like, wow, my mind was blown. So if, if anybody's listening to this, definitely check out the documentary about the Eminem Mars company. It's truly amazing. Uh, but I digress. I'm sorry. Uh, it's kind of like when Harley Davidson, they were creating Harley Davidson American Made. And then they went into, I think it was called VMF or something like that. And it was no longer American made. Nobody bought it. Mm -hmm. And then when they started going back to being American made again, people bought it. And now I think in today's climate that we live in, we want things to become, be American made. And I think it's a more conscience of buying American. I would love to have a store where it was just 100% American made products. And it was called American made. <laughs> I think that would be amazing to have just a store with just American made products because we create some of the best quality products. It's just nobody really knows about it. You know what I mean? A absolutely, Richard. And I will tell you, there's people that I'm working with because we are primarily apparel focused, but there's so many th other things out there. So that is in the works to have an online platform where you can go and make sure that everything you're buying is American made. And I will tell you two things. One, our tagline is, where's yours made? And it's designed to be provocative. It's designed for you, Richard, to go ahead and say, well, 
shoot, I don't know. And then you look at the tag and see, you know, made in China, made in Bangladesh. And I will tell you, in the middle of a global pandemic, our business has never been stronger. Our point of differentiation has never been more robust because cheap made in China is out. And people absolutely love the fact, to your point, that we're American made. You know, and I and I love that because I remember one time and I got really, really aggravated. You know, I'm in the military. You know, my friends are over fighting overseas in another country and they're wearing clothes that were manufactured in that country. And I'm like, wait a minute, you know, why are we buying clothes from Afghanistan when we have soldiers fighting against in Afghanistan? You know what I'm saying? So it's like, why can't we have American made products if that the soldiers are wearing? You know what I mean? No. For me, I just don't, I couldn't wrap my head or, I mean, I know it's for cost and all that, but still, if you have an American soldier putting his life on the line and he takes his t-shirt off and it says made in another country, it kind of just brings your whole psyche down. You know what I mean? I absolutely. And that is one of our big point of differentiation, but I will tell you, Richard, after three plus years of being in business with Authentically American, nobody is buying from us just because we're American made. You know, at the end of the day, we are a consumer brand and we need to deliver an absolutely amazing product experience. And if I was able to do a visual demonstration right now, I would show you our new sweat activated print innovation. And this is such a prime example of our focus and how we lead on product because I'll describe to you the way that works. So I would be holding up for you a Go Army shirt. It's one for me being a West Point graduate that I love. And it's incredibly soft. It's Texas cotton. Everybody raves about how soft our t-shirts are. Hopefully, Richard, you would attest to the same owning some of our products. So they're incredibly soft in the print that we use. It's only a water-based ink because most people's closet is filled with t-shirts that have that heavy plastisol ink that on a hot summer's day will stick to your chest. After a few washes, it will crack. So we have the complete opposite. We want you to have that incredibly soft experience with our t-shirts. But here's where the wow happens, Richard, because we have our new sweat-activated print innovation. So envision on the front, it says, go Army. And then when you sweat, you perspire, the circuit's wet, beat Navy appears. I, appears. I would and pour people. water on myself just so I could see that. And I will tell you, Richard, people say, Dean, forget where it's made. This is the coolest T-shirt I've ever seen. I absolutely love it. And what happens then is they look at the tag and they see that it's American made. Then they go to our website, authenticallyamerican.us. They start to read about the ethos behind our brand, being a brand that celebrates patriotism, being a brand that believes in the American worker, being a brand that honors our American heroes by donating 10% of our profits to veteran and first responder charities. That's how we have an opportunity to be their lifetime favorite brand, but it starts with product. You know, and I love that. And I seen that face piece that you had on. I hope that whenever they come back in stock, you can send me one so I can, promoted for you on my Facebook because I have a Facebook live show that I do every week. I would, oh, love, fantastic. To on, um, I would love to promote it on the show because, you know, and ever since I talked to Jax, I know I love the shirt that you guys made for him. 
and I love because we're talking we're going to talk about branding now. I love when you read that shirt, it asks a question. Right. And like I kind of stole it from Jax because I have a T-shirt now. It's called Today I Decide and question mark. And a lot of people be like, well, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, the most the three most important words in English language are today I decide. So what are you deciding today? So it, it came from you guys pretty much. Uh, <laughs> but I didn't make any money off of it, so I don't have to pay any royalties. But uh, um, but talk about branding, because, you know, like you're in branding. I'm, I'm in every you are your own brand in a way, you know, kind of like if Michael Jordan came to a press conference all decked out in Adidas gear, we'd be like, wait, what? You know, he is Air Jordan. He is like almost the face of Nike. So if he changes his, um, you know, go to Adidas in midstream, his brand will be kind of totally shot. And I see a lot of that in business, like a brand will be doing one thing and then it totally does something off and it just throws the whole brand off. Like when Nike, when uh, Coke came out with the new Coke, and it kind of, everybody was just like, uh, I, I don't think so. I like the original Coke. So right. about branding and how to properly build a brand and things not to do so you don't tarnish your brand. Well, here's what I will tell you, Richard, for any entrepreneur that wants to go ahead and start their own business. And we are in the apparel business, but it doesn't matter what line of business you're in you need to have a point of differentiation. You need to have something that is unique and innovative that is going to set yourself apart. And that was something that I'm so thankful for the training at Procter & Gamble and Mars because we've been so intentional about building our brand story and what we are all about. And I'd mentioned that four years ago, we were a blank sheet of paper and exhausted as I am. I'm even more energized Because when you start with a blank sheet of paper, you can be so intentional about who you are and what you stand for and your values. And I always like to highlight three ethos, you know, three strong values behind our brand. So one is we are a brand that celebrates patriotism. And I'm sure you've seen this, Richard. Our primary external visual is our vintage U.S. flag. That's our equivalent of the Nike swoosh. And people will say, Dean, I love that logo. You know, I love our country. I too believe and celebrate patriotism. So that's a big part of who we are and that ethos. The second one, and this was a very intentional choice. We are a brand that believes in the American worker. And it was that belief, which is why everything we produce, no exceptions, Richard, is made right here in the U.S., And to give you a little bit more context, we have 12 states across the country that we produce. We have incredible t-shirts that you've seen firsthand that we make in Texas. We have socks, fun patriotic design socks that were the number one seller the last time I was on Fox and Friends that are Carolina cotton, mint in Carolina. So we produce all across the U.S., but only the U.S. And that was, again, an intentional choice based on our belief in the American worker. And the other one, and I love, Richard, that you're a veteran, that I'm a veteran. I served with so many incredible men and women that fearlessly served our country, which is why we're a brand that honors our American heroes. And the way we do that is we donate 10% of our profits to veteran and first responder charities. And this is a reminder for us each and every day 
to do our best to make sure that we are maximizing the opportunity to serve our American heroes. So that's a big part of the branding and who we are and what our ethos is all about. Uh, and I think you you guys are doing a great job. So now you got to tell me the story because, you know, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask, uh, how did you meet Mr. Jax? And by, by the way, guys, if you don't know Jack Young, God's Cowboy is another brother in Christ um, doing some amazing thing and has such a God-given talent and another veteran. So to check out, check him out. So how did you meet Mr. Jax? So Jax and I were introduced by a mutual friend and we had a meeting and Jax ended up joining that meeting and we have been friends ever since. And his story, as you know, Richard, is an incredible one of overcoming incredible adversity and challenges and insurmountable hurdles that thought he could never get through to, to the point where he's at right now. And he is passionate and driven. And, you know, he and Linda have such a great relationship and he's making a difference. And we're excited to partner with his whole challenge and how he can go ahead and impact a million veteran lives. And I, like I said, I love his shirt that you that you guys collaborated on. I think that's truly amazing. So now two questions, and I know you get on with your beautiful day. Um, I got a, a date with my my bride tonight. Right. So I'm excited. Um, Pastor TD Jakes once told me, if you don't date your wife, another man will. So I'm not feeling Great that. Advice. So I'm saying I'm divorce proof in my marriage. So you guys do what you want, but I'm dating my wife. Uh, Two questions, or then I'm going to ask you a third one because you're a man of Christ. So that Richard, let me just do this to reinforce your point, because when my wife and I first got married nearly 27 years ago, the misconception I had was that this is going to be easy. We're in love. And I mean, it's not going to get any easier than this. And it has been the exact opposite because you're very intentional about dating your wife. And one thing I realized and some great advice from a pastor as well. If you want to have a strong, healthy marriage, you have to work at it. You have to be in, intentional, invest time. Just if you're playing a sport and you want to you know, run a mile faster, you've got to invest time in training. If you want to go ahead and have a successful business, you've got to invest the time. And it's the same way. If you want a healthy marriage, you've got to invest the time and make the commitment and work at it. And, uh, and, you know, and, and I'm sure that there's some certain times where she would just if we did have a gun in the house, I would be a dead man. Um, <laughs> but you know, one thing we have to realize that, you know, even like the Bible teaches us, you know, love is a commitment, not an emotion. So, you know, that's and I'm committed to my to my family. But now, how do we find you? How do we, where can we get your gear? How can we support your missions? So the best place to go, Richard, is authenticallyamerican.us. So authenticallyamerican.us, you can also visit any social media locations, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn. And I should you know, point out this differentiation as well with our business. There are really three different segments of our business. So there is the consumer side of our business. So Richard, you own one of our t-shirts that you love. So whether it's a t-shirt, whether it's a polo, whether it's a quarter zip, you can go to our website, authenticallyamerican.us and buy your new favorite t-shirt or whatever product you're interested in. So that is our consumer brand. We also have a collegiate side. 
which is absolutely exploding right now. That was that T-shirt I described around Go Army, Beat Navy. We have the West Point license. We have Naval Academy. We have all the service academies. We've also added local schools here in Nashville, like Vanderbilt and Belmont and MTSU. And <laughs> incredibly excited, literally on Friday of this week, Richard, we are launching Alabama, the number one collegiate license in the U.S. So that is the second line of our business. So there's consumer, there's collegiate, and the other one is client. So think if you are running a business or you are leading a charity, you will buy branded apparel, whether it's a t-shirt, whether it's a hat, whether it's a polo with your company logo on it. And in the past, you would have a choice to go to Land's End or you could choose a Nike or Under Armour, any one of these big brands, but not a single one of them is American made. And that's what we provide, Richard, is you or any business owner out there a choice, a high quality American made choice with a company whose values align more closely with yours. And that's why so many of our clients are veteran owned businesses, veteran operated business, veteran focused charities, because the values align so well and we provide amazing American made product. Well, if you ever get anything, if you ever get for sale, let me know. Go Gamecocks. I'm a Gamecocks guy. So whenever you guys get gear from South Carolina, you know I'm going to be ordering. Well, um, Richard, I will send you something later. You can help us get down that path because we don't have the capital. We don't have the time to just start blindly at, you know, grabbing licenses. We wait for interest. That's ultimately how Alabama came because they came to us. I love that. And so now last question that I ask every, well, this is going to be second to last question, but the last question I usually ask everybody else, but because you're a brother in Christ, I'm going to have another question for you. Um, you know, we're living in such a crazy world. You know, we got like my children are homeschooled because of COVID, you know, you got grandparents teaching homeschool. And um, so if I ask the average person to do something in seven days, they're pretty much never going to get to it. If I ask somebody to take an actionable step in the next 24 hours, they're more likely to take it. So if you know somebody that's struggling in business today, what is something that they can do in the next 24 hours to start to right the ship? My number one advice there, Richard, would be is don't go it alone. You know, God built us to be in community. God built us to be part of relationships. And whether it's your spouse, if if you're married, or whether it is, you know, your parents or your best friend that you served with or a mentor, a coach, you know what, reach out to somebody. If you're really struggling, if you're willing to have a hard time, don't do it on your own. I mean, again, we were designed for relationship. We were designed for community. And I will tell you, I mentioned this earlier, when you reach out to somebody asking for help, I mean, they are honored. They're humbled at an opportunity to go ahead and help a friend. And I love that. Okay, now, last question that I ask all my Christians, my, my Christian brothers and sisters is, um, you know, they say that if you don't if you don't feel close to God, um, you're the one that moved because he he's still there. You know, he's the same <laughs> yesterday and today, tomorrow. So you're the one that moved. So if you know somebody is struggling with their faith, what is something they can do in the next 24 hours to get closer to our Lord and Savior? Well, I will throw this out there, Richard, because, you know, I talked about what's most important to me, God, family and country. 
And I'm sure in the show notes, you will publish some information. So you are welcome to include my contact information. And if somebody is struggling and they need somebody to talk to and they've got nobody else they can feel they can turn to, they can call me, they can email me and we'll find a time to talk. And I can't tell you, Richard, the countless number of people that have invested in me over my career. And that's why I'm so intentional when there ever is somebody in need, somebody that's searching for a job, somebody that needs help, whatever it may be. I don't have the time, but I will find the time. I will make it a priority. Uh, thank you. Thank you for that. So, guys, if you're listening to this, thank you so much. Make sure you go check out Authentically American. They're on LinkedIn, Facebook, Insta. They're everywhere. All you <laughs> got to do is put in that Authentically American. Check them out. Order some stuff. Order some swag. Tell them that I sent you, and especially the T-shirts, because I can live in my T-shirt. So and just- let me do this, Richard. I'll share one more thing. If somebody was wanting to go ahead and try some of our amazing American-made products, when they check out, they can enter the code Founder, F-O-U-N-D-E-R, Founder at checkout, and that will save them twenty-five percent. Wow! Like pass that off, Ron. Wow! Do you hear that, guys? Twenty-five percent. Awesome. Guys, and I also want to thank our sponsor for today, James McNeil. He wrote a book about called Finding Your Mission, uh, talking about how you don't have to be alone anymore. Suicide is not the answer. And he is a two-time suicide survivor, so he knows what he's talking about. Check out his book at calledfindingyourmission.com. He's also a Christian brother, so just want to thank him. Dean, thank you so much for hanging out today, brother. Um, you know, now we talked, I consider you a friend and a family member. And if there's anything I could ever do to help your cause, it would be my honor. Well, Richard, sounds like we have a mutual lifetime friendship here. So we will keep this discussion going and I look forward to keeping in touch. Thank you, my brother. Have an amazing day. God bless you. Amen. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment. 